Is it possible to be both a feminist and a Catholic? Claire Swinarski, writer and creator of the Catholic Feminist Podcast, believes that it is. She says, I'm a feminist for the same reason that I'm bold and honest and sometimes ragey, because Jesus was all of those things. But just how do women share their unique gifts and genius with the church, the body of Christ? What women can we look to as examples throughout the history of women in the Catholic Church who have championed Christ? In our conversation today, Claire points out what it means to be both feminist and Catholic. Claire also pinpoints the areas where modern feminism goes too far, and she argues against abortion and explores what it means to serve others instead of focusing on our own needs first. So what does it mean to be a Catholic feminist? I think Claire brings a lot of great answers and conversations to the table. I enjoyed her episode, and I can't wait to share it with you. Today, we're welcoming to the podcast, Claire Swinarski. She's a Catholic author and podcaster, the creator of the Catholic Feminist Podcast, and the author of a brand new book published by Ave Maria Press that's set to come out here in a month or so, Girl Arise, a Catholic Feminist Invitation to Live Boldly, Love Your Faith, and Change the World. Claire, welcome to the podcast. It's so good to have you on. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. For listeners who haven't encountered your work through the podcast, can you tell us a little bit about your story as a Catholic woman? Sure. So like you said, I founded the Catholic Feminist Podcast. And so that's a weekly show for women who want to be inspired, informed, or intentional. So we interview all kinds of women in all walks of life on what being a Catholic feminist means to them. And for me personally, I grew up as a feminist And I had a very strong mother, very strong grandmother who just really imparted um, the wisdom of women on me and took me to see things like the first women's rights conference, like where that was held. And we were always going to see Susan B. Anthony's statue or Elizabeth Blackwell's house. And we were always going on these little trips growing up that really um, lit a feminist fire within me. So I've always been very passionate about women and women's rights. And I was raised Catholic, but I think that um, the catechism classes that I took growing up weren't super effective. I didn't um, come into adulthood with a really great grasp of Catholicism or even really like who Jesus was to me. Like I had the basics down, but there was no personal relationship. And then once I got to college, I encountered a very amazing community at UW-Madison at St. Paul's Catholic Center. And what that did for me was it just connected me with women who could walk on the journey with me. I was introduced into a Bible study. I started going on retreats. Things started to clicking here or there. I was starting to understand Um, why the church is different, what makes it unique and special and the truth. And then I started meeting one-on-one with a focus missionary and it all just kind of took off from there. I really developed a heart for Jesus. I had a deep conversion at SEEK, which is a focus conference. And so after college, I spent two years as a focus missionary before returning to Wisconsin, popped out two babies, started a podcast, wrote a book. Here we are. (laughs) So that's just kind of a brief overview of how I got to where I am. That's beautiful. I've loved reading your work and then also listening to the podcast because I think it talks about an intersectionality of feminism that sometimes gets slid under the rug or ignored. And sometimes when you mention the fact that you're a feminist, people can react and think, oh no, it's a swear word. That's the other F word for them is feminism. A lot of people are scandalized by the idea of a Catholic feminist. So can we talk a little bit about the intersectionality between Catholicism and feminism and why there is a place at the table for Catholic feminists? So right off the bat, I think it's really important to understand the terminology that you're working with. So feminism is a belief in the equality of the dignity of men and women. 
people bring a lot of their own opinions to the table and kind of try to tack them onto that definition. But that honestly is the truest, most bare bones definition. And so that's the one that we're working with. So it doesn't really matter what X, Y, or Z woman says, like you can or can't be a feminist if you believe in this or that. That is the definition that we work with. And so when you say it like that, all Catholics should be feminists, right? Because all Catholics should believe in the dignity of men and women. And if you look at church leaders and church documents, you see that that thought is really expressed throughout much of Catholicism. Um, in particular, a few people who pop into mind are Edith Stein, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, also known as. She has some amazing writings on the dignity of women. Um, St. John Paul the Great, of course, had his famous letter to women and his um, letter on the dignity and vocation of women. And so when you look at what the Catholic Church actually says and believes about women, you start to see the alignment of the two and how much they value women. I think why that confuses people is that a lot of times in secular feminism, there are certain prevailing beliefs that they believe are pro-women. And then when you take those, you kind of look at the Catholic Church and go, oh, so they're anti-women. Probably the most frequent, obvious one is that secular feminists tend to be very pro-choice. Catholics are pro-life. And so that's an example of a division between the two. But when you start to look into abortion as a procedure, what its effects are, the science behind it, the emotions behind it, the reasons for it, you start to really see that it isn't actually a practice that benefits women at all. And so therefore, the church being against it is actually a very pro-woman thing. And so that would be an example of a place where people butt heads, but Catholicism actually turns out to have more of that feminist spirit behind it. And obviously there are Catholics who are anti-women, but that doesn't mean the Catholic Church right. is anti-woman. There's Catholics who are racist. That doesn't mean that the Catholic Church is racist. So you have to start dividing um, out people who think things within the church and what the church actually says. Because are there some, you know, popular Catholic bloggers who say things about women that are horrendous? Yes, mm -hmm. but they're not actually in line with church teaching. Like just because a Catholic says something doesn't make it Catholic teaching. And that's what's beautiful about our faith is that we have an organized leadership system. We have official documents. So you can always go to the source and see what the church really thinks, not just what like Joe Schmo on Twitter thinks just because he has Catholic in his bio doesn't mean he's a spokesperson for the Catholic Church. Amen. Say it louder for the people in the back. <laughs> <laughs> so there's stereotypes surrounding the word feminist. There also is a lot of stereotypes surrounding what it means to be a real Catholic woman. And I'm saying real Catholic woman with air quotes because a lot of women don't fit into this box of what's perceived to be real, authentic Catholic femininity, and they can be left feeling isolated so what does it mean to live out authentic Catholic womanhood in today's culture? And why does that definition go so much further than how long our skirts are or whether we're homeschooling or public schooling our kids or whether we have kids? Mm, that's a big question. I think when you said the word isolation, that really stuck out to me because so many women today feel that isolated feeling. I think a lot of women feel like they aren't real Catholic women, no matter what they're doing or how they're spending their days. There's so many mixed messages in the world about what womanhood is. And I think what's important to emphasize is that being a woman looks different for different women, right? Like God gave us different skill sets, different personalities, different desires, and that is good for the world. If 50% of humanity all had the same personality and same skill set and same desires, the worlds would not thrive. And so it's important that we all look at our individual traits and our individual journeys and take out of that what being a woman means to us. You know, women 
can do all sorts of different things. And sometimes I think in the modern day, when we are focused on women in STEM, women being doctors, women being lawyers, that's all super important. But stay-at-home moms are still super important too. And it all comes down to what's best for your family and your situation. And so even saying like, what does a real Catholic woman look like? A real Catholic woman to me looks like someone who prays. Because that to me is someone who is in constant conversation with God about what he wants them to be doing and what is best for their current life situation. I honestly think that that's the key to being a real Catholic woman. So when you look at these different questions in the Catholic sphere, like for instance, how many kids to have? There's all these different schools of thought within the Catholic church about how many kids to have. You should have as many kids as the Lord blesses you with. You should be worried about overpopulation. You should only have a couple. You don't have to have kids. You should go be a career woman. Okay. I think that there are women who every single one of those sentiments is correct for, but you're not going to know which one is for you unless you're asking God, because you're not going to get the answer anywhere else. You're not going to get the answer on social media or even from other people in your life necessarily. You've got to go to the source and ask him. And being a Catholic woman can look so many different ways. I mean, if you look at our podcast, we've done like 90 episodes now. And the women we have on that show are so vastly different. Like they can think completely different things and they're they're spending their days doing really different things. And some of them have really different personalities. And I think that that's really beautiful because even me as a human, like I'm not for everybody. There are people that are going to listen to the show and be like, this girl is like too loud. She's too opinionated. She swears. She's not for me. (laughs) And that's fine because there's so many women in ministry. Like someone else might be such a better fit for you. There's tons of Catholic podcasts. And I just hope there's more and more because you can go and find what resonates with you because it doesn't look one way. The Catholic feminist podcast is not the one way to learn more about womanhood. You know, we can, we can learn about it in all these different ways. And I think if you look at the people that the church has canonized as a saint, it's really evident there because there's such a wide range of women in that group. You know, there's, there's a whole chapter in my book talking about Therese of Lisieux and Joan of Arc, both saints, both very different women, both women who followed a calling from God because they prayed (laughs) and You'd look at them and you'd think they had nothing in common, but they actually had the most important thing in common, a relationship with Jesus. And so I think real Catholic womanhood is just talking to God and asking him what way he wants you to walk. Right. Especially when different seasons in our life will look different. We may have a season in our life where we're raising littles. Then there's going to be a season in life where littles are out of the house or you're called to religious life. And that's going to look vastly different than the season of life that you had before that discernment. And so even in one woman's life, that call to Catholic authentic womanhood is going to look radically different even within a given year. Absolutely. There, When my husband and I uh, were engaged, I remember us talking about what makes us most nervous to marry each other. And he told me it was that he was worried I was going to wake up one day and be like, oh, we're moving to Guatemala to be missionaries. I bought the plane <laughs> tickets. Here we go. Um, because there are, there's times in my life where I just feel this call to go out and do something like quote unquote big. Like I'm like, we should sell all our possessions and go be missionaries. Um, and you know, in that day, what am I doing? I'm probably like wiping butts, handing out fruit snacks, yep. answering emails, these things that don't feel very big. And in my life, I'm just going to have these different seasons. And the other thing is that is big. It doesn't right. feel big. It doesn't look big, but 
you know, I'm trying to raise saints here. Another thing is I recently told a friend that I didn't feel like I was spiritually multiplying. And he was like, Claire, you're literally multiplying (laughs) humans who you are trying to raise to be saints. Like that is spiritual multiplication. And I think we can do big things in all kinds of different ways. So I definitely agree with that. So as women, we've been given this gift of sensitivity to the stories of others. And so we know how to form a sisterhood and serve those around us. But sometimes women's service in the Catholic Church is delegated to things like pancake breakfast after Mass. How can women who are Catholic serve the Church? And how do we reassess the value that we place on the service that we give to others? Whenever anyone has a question about the word service, I always point them to uh, John Paul II's letter on the dignity and vocation of women. Maybe you can link it in the show notes or something. Um, It's really, really beautiful letter. And a lot of it has to do with this idea of service and what it means to serve. And what I always go back to is that Jesus came to the earth to serve, not to be served. And so when we think that we're above service as an idea, that is not right. We need to reorient and look at service as the highest calling. When we're serving our fellow men and women, we're serving people in the image and likeness of God. Again, I talk about this a lot in the book, but service is a really important, beautiful thing that we should all aspire to. I mean, again, even Joan of Arc, who looks like this amazing warrior leader, was she not serving her country and serving the people around her? Like even she was embracing that idea of service. And I think, again, it looks a lot of different ways. Some women are going to rock that pancake breakfast. You go, friend. But other women are going to have different skill sets. So I think it looks like looking at your own skill set and how you can use that as a service to the church. So like for me, I'm a professional writer, um, but I write for my little parish newsletter for totally free. It's just my way of like tithing my talents. And that's a way that I'm able to serve. But if you have a brain for finances, for instance, you know, look into who handles the financials of your church. Is it a committee? Is it a volunteer position? Is it a paid staff position you could mentor or something like that? I think looking at what you do in your own life well and seeing how you can translate that to the church. Whenever I talk to priests, something that they express is a sense of busyness and the vast amount of responsibilities put on priests. And I just often hear the importance of spreading those responsibilities out. You know, priests were made to give the sacraments. They weren't necessarily made to do every single administrative thing. And I think that the more people involved in our churches that can kind of take some of that burden off so that priests can focus on Um, their vocations and the sacraments, the better. And so I think in order to do that effectively, we're going to need women involved in parish life. So if you look at your parish council and you see all men, um, maybe that's a sign that you you should try to jump on in next election. Yeah. And that sensitivity applies to our own stories too. When it comes to knowing our story, it can be easy to skip over ourselves because we want to serve others, but having that self-awareness and knowing what our gifts are does come into not only the service of our own relationship with the Lord, but also that service of in relationship with others, whether that's our parish or our community or the school or our family. And if we don't have an awareness of what gifts we've been given, then it's hard to give those back. Right, right, definitely. When women step into leadership roles, it seems like it's another case of two things that don't go well together, leadership and service. But as Catholic women, we're called to both to serve and to lead. What kind of leadership should we strive for as Catholic women, and how can we shift our conversation from focusing on what we can't do as Catholic women and towards what we can do as Catholic women? 
I think what you just said is a really important point, shifting that focus from what we can't do to what we can do, because the reality is we can do so much. And something that Pope Francis has been emphasizing a lot, I can't think of the exact word, but he basically has been saying that we need to stop holding religious vocations up as like the be all end all the church when like we're all members of the church. And so the things that we do are incredibly important. Yeah, they're not consecrating the Eucharist. That's true. But that is not all that a church does. A church has so many important aspects. And since women are so sensitive to the stories of others and they tend to be um, very relational, I think that it's important that they bring that to the table in those leadership positions. When I was interviewing my friend Jane for the podcast, she's um, in charge of a few other people. And we were talking about like being a woman boss within her career field. We were talking about how women as leaders often are sometimes better at understanding how actions are going to affect people on a relational level, not just that end result of getting the task done or how much money something's going to cost. I mean, those things are really important, but understanding how actions are going to affect people on that emotional relational level. And I think that that's an important thing that women can bring to the table, because especially when you're doing church work, that matters. We want everyone to feel loved and respected and understood by the church. And I just want to call out all the women right now who are feeling a call to leadership. Like that is a very good thing. That is not like selfish or, you know, egotistical. You know, if you're feeling that call to leadership to really step into that and embrace that, and maybe it's in your parish or maybe it's in your community. I've had the good fortune on the show of interviewing so many women who started these phenomenal projects. One of my favorite interviews was with a woman named Chanel Adams talking about a nonprofit she started in Detroit to help fight illiteracy. You know, if there's a topic that you're passionate about and you're looking around and wondering why God isn't solving the problem, like maybe God's version of solving the problem was creating you and lighting that fire in you. And that desire to help others could really be a call from God to step into leadership. So yeah, I think women leaders are incredibly important. I remember being in high school and going to a youth conference and really having that first personal experience with Christ as a person and thinking, okay, this is it. This is, this means that I'm called to be a religious sister. That has to be the only answer because that's the only way I can live out this beautiful relationship with him. And gradually over years of college formation and really good spiritual direction, coming to that conclusion that any situation, any vocation, um, whatever life looks like, there is that call to that intimate friendship with Jesus. That isn't something that's necessarily just for those who are consecrated, but that's something for everyone. And you see this in JP2's letter to women too. He doesn't just say, thank you women who are consecrated religious. Instead, he says, thank you women who work, who are moms, who lead, who are educators, who work in all these different fields, because each of those positions requires leadership, especially from women, given all of the gifts that women have been given. But also, yeah, it's diverse. It's not just something where, like we said before, there's not this one all answer to how to live that holy Catholic life or how to lead or how to serve. Definitely. I I just laughed hearing you say that because I was just at um, the Focus Conference Seek and yeah. I was like walking around the exhibits and a few sisters like handed me vocations cards and I was like, oops, <laughs> missed the boat on that one, my friend. I have two kids. Yeah, I, I, that ladder to women is so powerful. I love that he breaks down the different subsets of, women and just how important we all are to kind of the tapestry <laughs> that is the church as corny as that sounds that we all have these different callings and that they're all so valuable because I think you're right it's easy to hold up certain callings 
over other ones, whether it's like being a mom or being a sister, there are these positions that seem so much holier than the other ones when really they're all just so badly needed. Every Catholic woman can embrace feminism. That's going to look different for everyone, depending on their vocation. It seems to be that the church has a lot of resources and conversations for women who are engaged, for women who are married, for women who are discerning religious life or who have professed religious vows. What about single women in particular? How can single women embrace feminism? And how can those of us who are not single come and rally around those women and support them? Mm, That is such a good question. I feel like in our modern day secular society, mothers tend to be really undervalued. People don't um, understand the gift that being a mother is. So sometimes in the church, we really want to elevate that because we see motherhood is so vital and so important and we want to hold it up and that's beautiful. But I definitely see where we almost start to overemphasize it and can sometimes leave our single sisters behind. I mean, I know for myself as a young mother, like within the world, I maybe don't feel super embraced, but within the church, man, I feel supported. There are documents to me. There's videos about me like go moms. They are just held up. And I know that I have single friends who just feel ignored by the church or undervalued. And so I think that there's a couple of points to this. The first would be, I honestly, some of the single friends I have, I want to tell them like, don't get burnt out because I think that the church can look at single people and kind of think like, oh, you don't have a family life, ergo, you have 24 hours in a day to do everything. Like (laughs) you should be volunteering for every committee and at every event and serving all these people. But single people, you know, it's still a vocational state of life. Like you still need time to tend to yourself, tend to your own spiritual life, have leisure. Those things are really, really important. And so I would say, first of all, don't let people trample on your singleness and try to take advantage of it and make sure that you're still holding your time precious. And the second thing that I would say is maybe like start to prepare for the vocation that you do feel called to. So if you feel called to marriage and you're not married yet and you are single, I think a way that you can embrace feminism is by becoming as holy as you possibly can, right? And like trying to get as close to sainthood as you can because marriage is hard and the devil attacks it. And the stronger spiritual life that you can have before marriage, the better. And so I think there's a lot of preparation you can do beforehand, whether it's you know, reading spiritual materials or setting up really good habits of prayer and sacraments that you'll be able to carry into your marriage. I think that that's a really important thing to do. And lastly, I think just to embrace your current state of life, which sounds like I feel bad saying that because I have so many single friends who like desperately want to be married and I got married really young. So I didn't really have that season of life. Someone that I follow online who writes about this a ton and so well is um, Christina Jalloway. Do you follow any of her stuff? I do. Yeah. She's a perfect example for this. Oh my gosh. Okay. Her blog post, The Waiting is the Cross, yes. like changed my life. I send it to everyone I know. And again, like I didn't have that season of life, but I think we can all kind of empathize with um waiting for something like so many of us have something in our life that we've had to wait and wait for it. And that blog post is just from the Holy spirit. It is so beautiful. Um, and so I think, you know, trying to look at the season of life that you're in is a time to grow closer to God and not just like be waiting around for the next chapter, but to really embrace where you're at right now. And then just kind of on a realistic note, I mean, you might honestly have more time than your married friends. So if you want to dedicate that extra time to serving others in a particular way, this would be a great time to do it because 
I'll tell you now, when I have two kids, I really don't have a lot of time to do a lot of the things I would love to do, whether it's like volunteering or even just learning about new topics, new marginalized groups, diving into research, those kind of things that I just don't have as much time for as I would like. Um, if you're single and you have a heart for a certain issue, you probably do have a little more time than me. So I think embracing that extra time is great. But again, don't get burnt out and don't put all this pressure on yourself that you should be saving the world because you don't have a family at home because that's not really fair either. <laughs> right, right. And the, the no season of waiting is necessarily a holding zone. It's not like, mm. oh, God's put you in the season to not do anything. Kind of totally your thumbs around until you wait for the next part of your life to begin, whether that's you're single and, and you're called to marriage and waiting to discern that with someone or you're single and you're discerning a call to religious life or you're married and you're discerning kids or whatever stage of discernment there is. And there's so many. Those aren't times and seasons in our life where God is just inviting us to just sit and do nothing. There's always something that he's calling us to do in that season. And that season can bear fruit and should bear fruit, even if it doesn't look exactly like what we had hoped it would look like. Absolutely. That's so, so beautiful and true. And I just think that God doesn't forget, like he doesn't forget that you are waiting for something. He doesn't forget that you're discerning something. He knows where you're at right now and he still wants to do work in you. It's not like you're like, God, hello, you forgot, like I'm supposed to get married and (laughs) you just forgot about me and I'm just sitting here. Like, no, he did not forget what you're meant to do and meant to be. So the season must have some good that can come out of it. So in a world filled with busyness and noise, it's easy to wonder if people really need to hear one more conversation about Catholic femininity or one more conversation about feminism or wonder as, especially as women who create Catholic content in those areas, if our work makes a difference in in this world. Why do we still need Catholic feminism and how can women find their voice and the issue that they are passionate about in today's world? I am really sensitive to this because you are so right. There's so much noise. There's so much noise. Like there are so many blogs and podcasts and talks and videos and online, offline. There's just a million people talking and it feels like everyone is cranked up to 11. Mm -hmm. And so I even confront that in my own work. I always want to make sure what I'm saying is not just repeating something that someone else said or Like if I kind of want to talk about something, but someone else already did and they did it really well, like Christina Jalloway, like I'd rather just point people to her. Like I I could just repeat everything she said, but why? She already said it and it was amazing. So go read what she said, you know? So I totally get that. At the same time, yes, there is absolutely a need to be talking about Catholic feminism. And it kind of feels like when I'm in those moments of questioning, the Lord always (laughs) exposes to me the need. Like right when I'm sitting there starting to think, okay, have I said everything I need to say? Like, am I, did I get it all out? Like, is this book everything I needed to say? I'll get an Instagram comment comparing postpartum depression to a man cold. Or I'll see a tweet on Twitter talking about how real women shouldn't have jobs. They should stay home. And to the people listening to this show or listening to my show, it's like, that's crazy. No one actually says that. That's a straw man argument. Oh no, my friends, people say that. People say it a lot, actually. It is really, that idea is still so out there. It has its nails sunk in. I mean, just the other day, someone retweeted something I said and was like, look at this girl who thinks she's a Catholic feminist. You can't be both. So there are so many people who still don't quite grasp that. And the other thing is people talk, okay, people talk about feminism a lot, 
But part of why we need to talk about it with a Catholic spin is because there are issues that I see with modern day secular feminism that I don't think are good. And and I do want to draw those contrasting things. You know, I, I want to talk to Catholics and say it's important to be feminist, but I also want to say to secular feminists that there are some things that they're promoting that I just don't believe are aligned with truth that aren't aligned with God's goodness. And if we're going to be kingdom minded people, we need to always be seeking truth. And so, you know, for instance, there's a really big thread right now of like online, it's kind of called cancellation culture. Um, Basically the idea that like, if someone does something wrong, they're quote unquote canceled. Um, Like I saw a tweet the other day that said, no forgiveness for rapists. Okay. That's a really intense tweet that's a really intense thing to say rape is a really intense thing I've never been raped I've never been sexually assaulted I come at this from a place of privilege at the same time if I believe that Jesus was who he said he was and if I believe that he died on the cross and rose again to save us then I have to believe that there is forgiveness for everyone I have to believe it I can't take that away from anyone And so, you know, we have an episode with um, Rosario Rodriguez, who was the victim of very violent rape, talking about what forgiveness truly is. And I think that people who tweet things like that probably just don't understand what forgiveness is. Like, we're just working with different definitions. But I think that we have to say these really hard things and, and contrast these ideas in order to make sure that we're seeking the truth. We're not just saying what's popular. We're not just saying what's been said 80 million times. The world does not need another angry woman tweeting and hashtagging. Okay. The world needs women who are action oriented, who are bringing others to the kingdom, who are serving people. And sometimes that means getting fired up and getting angry for sure. But we need to make sure that we're doing it in the right way. And so a lot of people are talking, but I don't think a lot of people are telling the truth. So it's kind of a long rambling answer to your question. <laughs> no, I think it's so beautiful because that's the beauty of Catholic feminism is that it is a conversation for both Catholics and to a conversation with feminists who have this desire to see women treated with equality and dignity, but may not be going about it in the right virtuous way. And so it's just this beautiful space to be in the middle where so many conversations can be started and can be had and people can be heard because of that unique, beautiful, authentic combination of Catholicism and feminism. Yeah. And I mean, these are hard conversations, right? They can be super uncomfortable, but that's why I think that they're important to have. I think that if we aren't living uncomfortable lives and questioning the things around us, then we're not carrying the cross. And so It might feel sticky to be talking about Catholic feminism and it might make some people angry, but we can't not do things because people might get mad. That's just not our faith. Right. Exactly. Amen. Where can listeners find more about your podcast and also your new book that's coming out with Ave Maria, Girl Arise? Yes, you guys. I'm so excited about this book. I want to read a book like my whole life. So this is literally a lifelong dream. (laughs) And you can find everything at the catholicfeministpodcast.com. All the social media links, all where to listen to the podcast. There's even pre-order links for the book. It's all right there on our homepage, thecatholicfeministpodcast.com. Claire, how do you live out the feminine genius as a woman who's a Catholic feminist? I would say that I live out the feminine genius by constantly having conversations with women and hearing their stories and sharing them with other people. I think that um, just my current state and season of life, the gifts I've been given, I have a lot of privilege. I have a microphone. And so it's just an honor to 
live out my femininity by passing that microphone and letting others tell their stories. Beautiful. Thanks so much for your work, for your authenticity with your story, for just the conversations that you've started with The Catholic Feminist and all the hard work that went into Girl Arise. It is a beautiful book. It is so highly recommended. And you can find all those links that we've mentioned throughout the show in the show notes. Thanks so much, Claire. Thank you, Chloe. It was so great to be here. If you love today's podcast episode and want to dive deeper into Catholic feminism, check out the Fem Catholic Conference. It's a platform for education, connection, and activation to make the world and the church a better place for women and to explore how the church and the world can be better because of the contributions of women. The conference is at Loyola University in Chicago on March 2nd, and you can find links to get tickets in the show notes. Claire is going to be at the Fem Catholic Conference, and she's going to be leading a breakout session on whether Jesus was a feminist or not. She's joined by an amazing conference speaker lineup, including Simka Fisher, Leticia Adams, and Meg Hunter-Kilmer, and that is just to name a few of the speakers of this amazing conference. So head over to femcatholic.com slash conference for more information. You can find all the show notes for the episode on my blog, oldfashionedgirlblog.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and that's all I have for this episode. But until the next time that we visit, be not afraid.